All right, everybody, welcome. Today we're talking about curiosity. Take your seats, we're starting soon. Thank you. Welcome back, everybody, to the Change Academy podcast, the podcast that explores how to change your mind and your body and your life for the better, of course, and also for good. My name is Brock Armstrong, and I am the host of the Get Fit Guy podcast and also a movement and fitness expert. And I'm here, as always, with Monica Reinagel, a board-certified nutritionist and the host of the Nutrition Diva podcast and educated beyond belief in, in cooking as well. We should get into some cooking stuff at some point. Oh, I'm sure we will. But that's not why we're here today. What are we here for today? Well, as you said, in this podcast, we focus on the science of behavior change. This is something that we work on a lot in the program that we do together, the Way Less program, which is a program where we work with people on sustainable weight loss. So because this is a brand new podcast, we thought it would be a good idea to start out with kind of a manifesto, what we believe to be true about <laughs> behavior change. And so in our very first episode, if you haven't listened to that yet, you might want to backtrack and catch up. We talked about the eight things that we believe to be necessary for that sustainable behavior change. And now we're going through each one of them in a little bit more detail. So last week, episode number two, we talked about how everyone needs a really compelling reason in order to make a sustainable change. And this week we want to talk about number two on our list, and that is curiosity. We believe that mm -hmm. you really need to have some curiosity, sort of a scientific spirit in order to discover what you need to discover to make these changes lasting. Now, because this is a manifesto, do I need to get my soapbox out? I feel like I need a soapbox oh, <laughs> for I, these episodes. I carry mine with me everywhere I go. Well, okay, I'm going to go soapbox list today. So hopefully everybody can put up with me standing on the floor like a chump. Now, before we get into curiosity, which is a, a pretty big topic, I was writing notes for today's episode, it really it went on and on and on. So we'll try to boil it down to just the uh, the really important stuff. But before we get into that, I wanted to talk about something that I think is pretty relevant and also something that I've been personally working on for, man, I'm going to say a few years now. It's one of those ongoing processes. And um, let me just, I'll, I may as well just tell the story. I know Monica's familiar with the story because she was involved in the story. Uh-oh, you're going to be telling tales. <laughs> little foreshadowing. So this morning and every morning, I tend to wake up and I do pretty much the same routine. And I'm not going to get into the routine because the routine isn't the important part here. Everybody should develop their own routine. I don't want to go explaining to you how you should spend your morning because part of curiosity is figuring out how it works best for you. But I was doing my normal routine and then a coworker Would that be me? Uh, maybe. <laughs> um, sent me an email and... Hang on. We just have to say that this coworker also wakes up three hours earlier because this coworker yes. is on the opposite coast. So Very good point. So I was only maybe two sips into my coffee, but the coworker was already Halfway an hour lunch. and a half or more into, <laughs> into her workday. Uh, so I got this email and and at that point, when I saw the email come in, I had a choice to make. I, I had a, a, a decision to make or a question I could ask myself, which is, do I need to respond to this right now? Should I put this off to later? And my choice at that time was, no, I think I can I can take this right now. I can do it even though I'm two sips into my coffee and I've just woken up. I can I can handle this. And as the conversation progressed, I felt a mounting 
tension and a mounting anxiety sort of crawling up inside myself. And I started having these thoughts of, this is so annoying. Why, why do I have to deal with this? Why, why do I put myself in this situation that means I have to respond to this? Why lots of whys and hows and what's wrong with me? And why did I ever get involved in this in the first place? And these terrible, unhelpful thoughts. And then all of a sudden, my, my great old cognitive behavioral training popped in and said, hey, Brock, what if you just looked at this a different way? What if you ask the question, how is this helpful rather than how is this disrupting my morning routine? Instead, how is this actually going to benefit me later on today or later on this morning or later on in the week? And it's amazing how just asking myself that question of can I look at this in a different way made me able to <laughs> shut down that rising cortisol level and the that was creeping up and and also just feeling like I was so hard done by because I had to do my job before I was completely finished my coffee and it was still in my pajamas and stuff. And it's really easy to get caught up in that woe is me sort of situation. If you don't take the time to ask yourself the question and have the curiosity to ask the question, is this a helpful way to be responding to this situation? Or is this a meaningful way to respond to this situation? Or can I make this into a meaningful situation and to my benefit? My responsibility as a responsible human on this planet is to regulate my own emotions, not yours, Monica. You, When you sent me that email, there was no intention in your soul to be disrupting my morning. So taking that time to remind myself that I am not hard done by, I'm not being imposed upon, I chose to to put myself in this situation and I can also choose how to react to it. So that was my, uh, my big, I guess, not revelation because that's uh, something I've been working on for a few years, but I'm always happy when I can actually use what we teach in this podcast on myself. Well, it's kind of a revelation to me because I didn't know how irritated you were with me this morning until just right oh. now. <laughs> well, well, it's these are just micro thoughts that you have. Like, you, you know how that your brain sort of spirals really quickly. And it's not like I sat there agonizing over each one of those thoughts. It's just those little micro thoughts that pop up of, oh, damn it. Oh, why did I get what? Oh, eh, er. Why did I start this conversation? <laughs> yeah, I guess the uh, my version of that is when you are still kind of towards the middle of your afternoon and I'm transitioning out of my workday and you need something for me. And I'm thinking it is six o'clock. I do not <laughs> need to be working anymore. But I feel like, oh, you need something from me. Let me just try to respond. And so, yeah, I can lead myself down that same garden path and, and start to feel kind of hard done by that I have to work so late in the afternoon. But I guess what we should see is that as a team, we get the benefit of a really long workday. Well, and we also have the, the the answer to the question of, do I need to respond to this right now is always within our control. Mm -hmm. And I could have very easily this morning just said, you know what, I'm going to deal with that. I'm not going to open that email right now. I'm going to open it later. And nothing would have broken. The world would not have ended. Nothing terrible would have happened. I would still have been there once you finished your coffee. <laughs> exactly. But I chose to to do that and I had to to assume the responsibility for that choice and that decision. So you had said earlier that you felt like this little story kind of segues nicely into our topic today. Where's the connection between that and curiosity and how this can help the people listening make positive changes in their lives? 
Well, I guess there were two points where curiosity served me well this morning. The first time was being curious enough or asking myself the question, do I need to respond to this email right now? Sure, I chose that, yes, I would, and maybe that wasn't the best decision. But then I had that second point in curiosity and asking myself the question of, okay, I'm reacting to this, not in a very desirable way, but is there another way that I could frame this to make it more helpful, more meaningful, more beneficial, and more comfortable for me. Yeah. And i that's where I see the real heart of curiosity coming into it is kind of opening that door to be like, what would the other options be for me right now? Whether it's a different thought that I could choose, a different uh, interpretation of the situation that I could choose, a different response, or just a different action, a different choice. And as soon as we stop um, judging whether what we're doing is right or wrong or good or bad, and turn it into that kind of, well, what what are the possible responses here? Then it really takes a lot of the pressure off and turns it into almost a little bit more of a game, a game of imagination yeah. than just um, a sort of a judgment situation. But I feel like we kind of started in the middle of the topic, right? Yes. So let's back up. Yeah, that was just meant to be an example. But yeah, let's let's back up. And, and I'm not going to introduce Socratic questioning or anything yet, even though that's exactly what we're talking about. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's take a step back. So curiosity or the openness or the willingness, the ability to look at your thoughts, your feelings and your actions and their outcomes. Why is that important? Well, I think both of us are in a situation where we're seen as experts. We're seen as people who have the answers. And so when people are trying to achieve something, whether it's they're trying to lose weight or improve their nutrition or improve their fitness or develop whatever habit or pattern they're trying to develop in their lives, they look to experts to tell them how and what to do. Mm -hmm. And so, so many of the people that, uh, that we work with start out by saying like, all right, just tell me what to eat or <laughs> just give it to just me. Give me just the give me the meal plan. Give me the rules. Tell me how many calories I'm supposed to eat. Tell me what time of day I'm supposed to eat. Tell me when I'm supposed to exercise. You know, there's this assumption that we have the right answer and that we're just going to be able to tell you this right answer. And then your success or failure is going to hinge on how successfully you implement our instructions. And Having now been doing this for so long and worked with so many people, it's very clear to me that it's not about us handing out the right way to do it. Our true role as coaches is helping people discover what's going to work best for them because there really never is just one right way. And I think one of the reasons that we think that there is, is because of the emphasis and the focus on science. And, mm. you know, we try to practice evidence-based nutrition, evidence-based movement practices. Um, and it creates this misperception, I think, that science has established the best mm. diet, the best workout, you know, the, the hour of the day at which you will burn the most fat or whatever it is. So sometimes it's a matter of figuring out how we can use science to make us smarter and to, um, to get better results without succumbing to that myth or that fallacy that there is one right way that is the right way for everyone. So how do you how do you deal with that when when people start waving hmm. research papers at you and saying, look, it says right here <laughs> that if you yeah. exercise on an empty stomach, you're going to burn 21.8% more fat. 
I think you've spent uh, the last 12 years sort of going through those research documents and not de- well debunking them probably not in a, in a negative way because it's not that the scientific studies are wrong mm-hmm. it's just most of those studies are done in well I'll use high intensity interval training for for an example of what I'm what I'm trying to say here high intensity interval training has been looked at and especially tabata sets have been studied in labs under very controlled circumstances where the subjects in the in the research studies are on very specific protocols and treadmills and bicycles that are adjusted specifically to hit their peaks at exactly the right time and not have any like ramp up you know when you're going from like just a easy jog to a to a sprint you often have a good five seconds, maybe 10 seconds of getting yourself up to speed. Well, the studies didn't allow for that. They just, it was like immediately going from an easy jog to all out and then back to the easy jog, which is almost impossible in in real life. So trying to replicate or trying to get those very specific results from that workout in an everyday sort of situation is just not going to happen. Yeah, that's one big error that I see people making is, you know, somebody has done a study with eight 21 year old elite athletes. um, And, you know, working out in, um, you know, in a very controlled environment. And then we think that that is going to apply to a 40 year old, you know, weekend jogger. And, um, you know, and that is not always the case that these uh, results don't, we have to look at the subjects and, um, you know, whether that really does apply so many, especially the exercise studies are done on elite athletes and the relevance yes. for us mere mortals is probably minimal. Then the other thing that we sometimes miss is the magnitude of the difference. You know, mm. sometimes the research study will find that some small tweak in the way people are eating or the way people are exercising or the timing does show a statistically significant difference. But in the real world, the difference is so small that it's not going to make a a real world impact. So we also have to just kind of look at, yep, they've proven that that's slightly more effective, but is the difference going to be enough that we could even notice it, even if we were going to enjoy that same result as those elite athletes? Yeah, so what it really comes down to, and this is, I guess, where the curiosity and, and the ability to ask the questions comes in, is when people come to come to me for this type of training and say, like, okay, what is the program I should be doing? When should I be exercising and stuff? I, I turn it around back on them and say, well, what do you enjoy doing? Like, what's your favorite type of exercise? Or what type of exercise do you have access to? Like, I'm not going to give you a skating workout if you live in Hawaii, because you're probably not going to find a, a rink like I have on my fingertips. What have you done in the past that you both enjoyed and found successful and and sustainable? And what do you actually have time for in your day? Because I'm not going to put you on a Ironman training plan if you only have a half an hour a day to to do the workout. Now, these are the kind of questions that I can ask as a trainer, but it's even more advantageous if you can ask yourself those types of questions. Yeah, I think you've put your finger right on something. And that is that even if there is research showing that this or that is slightly more effective, you know, this little carbohydrate timing strategy or meal timing strategy or or something like that, um, if it runs counter to your biorhythms, your, you know, your work schedule, your preferences, when you feel awake and when you feel sleepy, that little advantage is going to be completely obliterated by the fact that you're going to be trying to run against an enormous headwind. So I think it's much more impactful 
rather than to try to parse somebody's ideal diet to so many grams of carbohydrates and so many grams of protein to ask you, what, what do you enjoy eating? How do you, how often do you cook? You know, where are you when you're eating? Are you at home? Are you at work? Are you on the road? Do you have to eat out a lot? Let's look at what we're actually working with here and what you like, what you enjoy. And then let's come up with something that makes sense in that context, because all of those sort of soft factors are ultimately going to determine whether this is sustainable. And, you know, that's really all we're interested in. I'd rather have you do something that's 20% less effective, but three times as likely to stick, you know, than to do something that's slightly more effective, but that you're not going to be able to incorporate as a long-term strategy because it just doesn't fit you or your life or your preferences. Yeah. The truth is you get 100% of the benefit of actually doing X, Y, or Z. So don't worry about the 0.1% you might get from doing it absolutely perfectly. Yeah, another variation on that, people will often ask me, what method of preparation will preserve the most nutrition in their vegetables? You know, how do I cook this so that I retain as many nutrients as possible? And I always say, the most nutritious way to eat your vegetables is the way you enjoy them most because you will eat more of them and you will eat them more often. You will ultimately get a lot more nutrition by eating foods prepared the way, nutritious foods prepared the way you enjoy them than by worrying about, you know, a milligram of vitamin C that might leach into the steaming water or, or something. Now, okay, I bear with me here. I'm, I'm full of stories today. I don't know why I'm so full of stories, but, um, and also, if you're an elephant trainer listening to this story and this isn't quite correct, please don't get upset with me. This is uh, it's more an allegory, so it's not supposed to be. It doesn't have to be perfectly accurate. But anyway, this is the way the story was told to me. When a baby elephant is being trained and they want it not to run away, they put a leash or a rope around its neck and then they tie it to a stake in the ground that's just strong enough or stable enough that the baby elephant at that point in its life can't pull away, can't pull it out of the ground. And they try and they try and they fail and they they realize that they can't. So as they get older, they just don't try anymore because, well, they've already tried and it didn't work. So by the time they're a full grown elephant, obviously they could easily pull it out of the ground, but they don't try anymore because they've learned a lesson. And I think this is exactly the way that humans behave as well. We we try and we try at certain things. We have a history of failure in certain things. Maybe we even look at our family's failures and take those on. And we never ask the question of, could I do this now? Or has something changed? Or what if I went about it in a different way? And bringing that curiosity and asking those questions can free us from those constructs or those restrictions that we've put on ourselves, just like the baby elephant did, having pulled and pulled, they could easily break free when they're big. And we could easily succeed when circumstances have changed. Or if we ask ourselves, how can we do this differently this time that could set us up for success? Yeah, I think it's probably a way of interpreting or working with the failure to get the outcome that you had hoped for and what conclusion yeah. you draw from that. You know, you can decide, oh, I'm just not capable of achieving this end. Or you can think, all right, so I tried that. What was it about it that didn't work for me? Did I execute it perfectly and it didn't produce the results I was looking for? Well, then maybe it's time to experiment with a different strategy. Or 
did it not produce the results I was looking for because I didn't really execute it? In which case, mm. you know, we could ask, well, what was getting in the way? You know, what are, were there barriers there that could have been removed or would it be maybe make more sense to, to try a completely different strategy that, that doesn't have those, those built in barriers, but all of those are better questions to ask in the face of a, and I'll put air quotes around the word failure mm. than just, you know, I failed. I, I couldn't do it. You know, I'm, I'm incapable of doing this. Yeah, I think this is exactly where curiosity really shines. And it's sort of, I think, what a way to look at what you were just saying is sort of reverse engineering. Mm. So when you have that, let's not call it failure, we call it missed opportunities in in the Wayless program, just because failure has some stigma, although I'd love to take that stigma out of there and, and be able to say failure without having negative connotations, but we'll call them missed opportunities for now. When we have those missed opportunities to actually like sort of rewind the tape of our life and look back and use that this curiosity to see where things, where a different decision could have been made or a different situation could have been introduced or a, where along the, the timeline did we lose track of our objective or did we, did we fall off the rails or jump off the bandwagon or whatever. Or did we fail to use. plan or fail to have hmm. a backup plan? Yeah, there's so many things that that we can look for there. Yeah, they're the great thinkers and icons and innovators of the world have the ability to not only think forward, but also to think backwards. And that's really hmm. the way that is important to solve problems and, and, uh, and create innovation, really. And what is behavior change other than innovating our own lives? So I think we can use that same sort of idea of uh, the reverse thinking, the reverse engineering of our lives to really set us up for those successes as we move forward. You know, another thing that we talk about a lot in the Way Less program is trying to view our endeavor as scientists and kind of trying to take some of the emotion and the judgment out of it and being just sort of impartial, you know, to to the outcome and just, you know, we we kind of all put on our little mental uh, white coats, you know, and, and stroke our chins and think, hmm, very interesting, you know, and try to cultivate that detached curiosity um, and and our sort of more scientific mind here. And it's interesting because when you are conducting scientific experiments, having an experiment that produces a null effect is just as valuable. Yeah. It's just as valuable to learn what isn't there or what doesn't work as it is. Now, it's, maybe it's not quite as fun, but when you're just trying to expand the body of human knowledge, it is just as valuable to know what is not there as it is to discover what is there because it narrows the the field a little bit. Um, and so it, that's another way in which we can try to tap into that scientist and and be willing to look at failure as a really valuable and useful and worthwhile data point that you did not waste your time failing. You spent that time to learn something that can now propel you forward. Well, and we'll be talking about failure a lot mm. in the in the future, but you have to have the curiosity and you have to be willing to ask the questions and not just sort of say, well, you know, I've tried this in the past, so I'm not going to try it again. Or, or I've read somewhere that this isn't true, so I'm not going to bother giving it a try. Things are are different for us than they are for other people. They're also different for us at different times in our lives. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think that's another thing when we get too focused on the science and 
you know, science has found this to be the best way is that we, we view our bodies and our lives and our brains as machines, you know, that it's just about dialing in the correct combination and, you know, getting a predictable results, but we are much, we're such dynamic organisms existing in a, in a very complex and ever changing environment. And so we're never going to be finished figuring this stuff out. Just when you kind of figure out what works for your life, you get a new job, you move to a new place, your environment changes or less dramatically, but just as inevitably your body gets older and its chemistry Mm. changes and all of that happens. So we're never done figuring this out. So we might as well get comfortable. And if we can actually find the pleasure in this process of exploration and, and experimentation, because we're never really going to be done. I think, you know, we work with a lot of people who are sort of approaching middle age or, or moving through middle age. And one of the big frustrations they have is that what worked when they were 20 or 30 yeah. doesn't work anymore. Um, and they have to figure out a new way to to work with their bodies and their lives. And um, you know, why would we think that it would? But yeah, sometimes that's very frustrating to realize, gosh, I used to be able to, you know, just kind of get in shape in two weeks. <laughs> I could be, yeah. you know, in shape. And now I run for three days in a row and, you know, my, I'm icing down my knee. So now what's my strategy for getting in shape? Well, and the saddest thing is watching people continue to do it over and over again, expecting it to, to work. They don't have the curiosity or the ability to, to question it. They're just like, well, Okay, I, I obviously didn't do it hard enough. That's the mm-hmm. often the thought is I just didn't try hard enough, or I didn't have the willpower, or the motivation to to do it like I did when I was twenty. And it's like that's not necessarily what the problem is. The problem is is that you're locked into thinking one way, and you're not trying something else on for size at this point in your life. Yeah, I guess the the partner to curiosity is flexibility. You know, is is mm. uh, being willing to try things some different ways. It's even fun if you have something that's working to to see if you can find something else that works too, you know, and then that builds in that flexibility. Again, curiosity, the the willingness to try something on for size before you reject it is, is key here. Yeah, I, I think if I had to sum up this whole conversation, it's really about recognizing that there's never only one way to do something. There's never one way that's going to be right for every single person. There's always a variety of right answers. And then we don't have to worry too much about um, about getting it right, because there's a lot of ways of getting it right. But we have to let go of that fantasy that there is one perfect way, and that it's only that way that is going to get us the result that we want. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of my takeaways is also to not get hung up on what you think you should be doing, and instead, try stuff on for size. And also to ask yourself, why this happened so you can learn from the process and learn where the process is breaking down that idea of reverse engineering having the curiosity to ask yourself what happened and try to figure out where it went wrong so we should probably talk about this week's lab assignment what do you think sure so every week <laughs> we want to give you something to to take away from uh, we don't want you just listening to us talk. We want you taking these ideas and trying them out like the little scientists you are, we all are, in your lives. And so we are going to send you out of each episode of this podcast with a little lab assignment. And so this week, obviously, 
our assignment for you is to see whether you can pull on that mental white lab coat. Or physical one if you have a lab coat. Put it on by all means. (laughs) Or a white sports coat. That might do. Glasses if you have them. (laughs) And take something that has felt like an unsolvable problem or a frustration or something that you feel like you haven't been able to get traction with and try to suspend your judgment long enough to get curious, to start asking, well, what have I really tried? And what variations have I tried? What have I, what do I know for sure has failed? That would be a great thing to, to Mm -hmm. uncover, but see if you can ask yourself some really interesting questions about how you have gone about trying to achieve this change, how you could go about making a change in your status quo, what that would feel like, what that would look like. And if you wanted to share it with us, we would love to hear from you. I know I said I wasn't going to get into Socratic questioning, but I think this is the perfect time to just say, like, I want you all to go out there and pretend we are Socrates and you are our students. And Socrates taught his students to question their beliefs and assumptions, to question their beliefs and assumptions in order to gain more knowledge. And that's what we want you guys to do. And write it down too somewhere, whether it's on a screen or on a piece of paper or whatever, because it really does help you work through the the problem, but it also gives you something to come back to when you're when you've all of a sudden had that aha moment or you wanted to to see where your line of questioning might lead you to a better outcome. Having it written down is just that much more valuable. That's right. So this week we want you to stop looking for the right answer and play around with seeing if you can ask some better questions. All right. Well, with that being said, we want to make sure that you guys know how to find us and how to join the Change Academy family community, the family community. (laughs) So we have three things we want you to do. The first one is to make sure that you subscribe to this podcast and don't be scared. Subscribing doesn't cost any money. It's just a button that you push in your podcast app that you're having, that you're listening in right now. Most likely if you're listening on the website, we have a list of all the places you can find the podcast. So subscribe. And that just means you'll never miss an episode. It's just going to pop up automatically in your in your podcast app. So make sure you do that. And number two is to sign up for some updates that we will be sending out via email. And you can do that by going to changeacademypodcast.com. And you'll see right there on the page, there'll be a sign up form, really easy to find, really easy to use. And then number three is send us some of your questions and some of your curiosities and some of your experiments that you've run on yourself over the next hopefully week or so and uh, and let us know how it's going and and if you run into any stumbling blocks maybe we can we can do some coaching and help you through them absolutely and because we did we were talking a little bit about the wayless program if you're curious about that <laughs> you can find out more about the wayless coaching program that Brock and I have created at wayless.life But in the meantime, we will be back with our next episode, and we're going to be talking about why it is so important to have an objective and how an objective is a little bit different than a goal. So we'll leave you with that Mm -hmm. as a little teaser. That's a good teaser. Now I want to know. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. See you soon. All right. Thanks, everybody. This has been the Change Academy podcast. Don't forget your lab experiment. (laughs) 